Challenge that's omnipresent is a lack of a, of a nuclear waste strategy for the country. And so I think to me, one of the most striking things in this whole process was how many people, when the plant shut down, recognized that, oh, even though the plant is shut down and they'll remove the domes and so on, the spent fuel is going to be there forever, right? unless we have a strategy. Hello, and welcome to Nuclear Waste, The Whole Story a series designed to explore perspectives of nuclear waste disposal. About half a million metric tons of high-level nuclear waste is temporarily stored at hundreds of sites worldwide. No country has established a permanent home for spent commercial fuel. In the U.S. alone, one in three people live within 50 miles of a storage site. That fact may be surprising, but it's not for lack of technical solutions. Experts worldwide agree that a deep geological repository would be the best final resting place for this hazardous substance. So what's the delay, you ask? The answers are complex and controversial. In this series, we're interviewing experts and stakeholders representing pieces of this complicated puzzle to give you a clearer picture of nuclear waste, the whole story. In this episode, Deep Isolation Communications Manager Carrie Hulak interviews Dr. David Victor, Chair of the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station Community Engagement Panel. San Onofre is a former nuclear energy plant on the coast of Southern California that's being decommissioned. At Deep Isolation, we believe that listening is one of the most important elements of a successful nuclear waste disposal program. A core company value is to seek and listen to different perspectives on the matter of nuclear waste, nuclear energy, and disposal solutions. The opinions expressed in this series are those of the participants and do not represent Deep Isolation's position. Our guest today is Dr. David Victor, Chair of the Community Engagement Panel for the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station on the Southern California coast. This facility, known as SONGS, stopped producing electricity in 2012 and began decommissioning in 2013, a process that's expected to take at least 10 years. It has 1,600 tons of spent nuclear fuel stored just feet from the Pacific Ocean. A couple notes on what you'll hear today to help you better understand our conversation. When Dr. Victor mentioned the Vermont Yankee nuclear power plant, he actually was referring to the main Yankee power plant. When discussing decommissioning issues beyond the waste disposal, Dr. Victor refers to first responders. He's talking about the community of emergency personnel and others who support the day-to-day -day operations of a nuclear power plant and are impacted by the decommissioning process. Welcome, Dr. Victor. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you. Well, we'll just get started with something really basic. Can you just explain what it means to decommission a nuclear power plant? Well, right in this country right now, it means taking all the fuel out of the, out of the reactor and out of the spent fuel pools, putting it into dry cask storage, 
leaving that on site because we have no place for that fuel to go. That is the central political challenge uh, for this country around this challenge that other countries have addressed, frankly, better than we have. And then it also involves dismantling the site, which is uh, almost as complex and expensive as building a nuclear plant. It involves uh, figuring out which pieces you remove first, uh, it involves uh, uh, decontaminating a lot of stuff, uh, figuring out how to take the most radioactive parts, reactor vessels and so on, cut them up robotically, put them into their own dry cast storage systems and store them basically in the same way you'd store spent nuclear fuel. And then huge, huge volumes of lower level waste that needs to go to special repositories. And in the case of the San Onofre plant, it'll, it'll, uh, most of that will go to Clive, Utah, which is a, a facility uh, just west of Salt Lake City. So what uh, is the role of the Community Engagement Panel exactly in this process? Well, we were set up as a conduit between Edison, the operator of the site, the, like, like most uh, plants in this country, there are multiple partial owners, but there's one dominant owner and operator of the site, that's Southern California Edison. And when they went into the, when they knew they were going to the decommissioning process, they also knew that they needed some better mechanism to talk to the public and understand what the public cares about, or publics frankly care about, because there are lots of different communities with lots of different interests, help, uh, help Edison understand what the publics care about, and also help the publics understand what Edison cares about, and also frankly what Edison is actually doing on the site. And that, that's what it, we do, is we're a two-way conduit. We're not a decision-making body. There are lots of other decision-making bodies, oversight of trust funds, oversight of safety, you know, oversight of all kinds of things. Wasn't a need for another oversight mechanism or a formal deciding mechanism, but there was a need for a mechanism that would make everybody more aware of each other. And I think the backdrop to that is, um, <clears throat> for some parts of this community, there were contentious relations when the plant was operational. And that a lot of that was brought out by Fukushima, but it had been there long before. The plant was built in an area that was more remote in California when, when it was originally planned. And then you know, people discovered they liked California, so lots of people moved. And um, now you've got a pretty substantial population near, uh, near the plant. A lot of those members of that community are highly engaged, not all of them thrilled about nuclear power. And so, so that's the political backdrop to this. And it was an effort to kind of reset those relations with the communities. Uh, and I think for the most part has been successful in that regard. So that you would say that was the panel's key objectives to kind of get that relationship, that communication going between the community and the utility. Yeah, and there were ways for people to communicate before. Um, there were, you know, all the towns and cities around the plant would have uh, uh, meetings of various types and, you know, councils and so on. So people would go to those. But they weren't a forum that was dedicated just to San Onofre. Uh, one of the things I think was so important about the the, the decision to set up the, the community engagement panel and the membership of the panel is that more than half of the members are elect elected officials. Uh, and so they're mayors and members of city council, they're on school boards. And so you get, all, I've learned, I'm a professional political scientist, and I learned a lot about politics from this process because you see all these people who are used to dealing with conflicting local interests and managing that, and we're very good at it. And they've just played an invaluable role on, on, the, on the panel in helping us understand how to, how to appreciate what different people are saying, what the concerns are, how to manage those concerns or help Edison manage those concerns better or at least give, give some advice. And that's been just crucial and it's been crucial to delivering on this two-way conduit so that people aren't just 
in the communities don't just feel that Edison's there telling them what's about to happen, but that they're actually able to speak up, organize themselves, and then in many cases now have a pretty substantial impact on what happens during the decommissioning process. So is this a kind of unique panel compared, I mean, there's many other decommissioning plants throughout the US and the world. Is this unique? Um, what have you seen happen in other communities, um, maybe that hasn't gone so well or other, uh, how would you compare? We're not unique in the sense that there had been panels like this before. In fact, Vermont Yankee, a very important study that Electric Power Research Institute, EPRI, did on best practices um, that was one of the reference points for the community engagement panel when it was set up. And those best practices included looking at what was happening in Vermont Yankee, a very important experience where there's a panel like this, it helped guide the process, um, played a pretty substantial role. And then they're in, in you know, fully in decommissioned with now just a spent fuel pattern isfasy on, on site. Um, there is a similar panel that was set up after ours in Vermont. Um, there are panels, uh, there's a nuclear plant just north of Chicago that had a, that had a panel that's similar that was pre-existing uh, to, to ours. And so in that sense, we're not unique. I think what's made us a little more unique is the size and engagement of the populations around the San Onofre site. I mean, this is a site that is between the five highway, which is a major thoroughfare between San Diego and Los Angeles, highly populated area just north of uh, a military base. And the plant is between the five and the ocean. <laughs> so it's a very small site, it's a long, thin site. Uh, it's kind of like the Manhattan of sites. It's a long, narrow site. Um, and, and then sandwiched around it, as a military base are a lot of uh, populations, very active communities, a huge amount of attention to the plant. Also, frankly, a number of, of fairly unique technical challenges, in particular related to seismic uh, risks. And so that's what makes the whole situation a little more hypercharged and a little more unique compared to other plants. I think Diablo Canyon, uh, north of here, which is another California site that'll be decommissioned in a few years, will have something similar. But the difference between Diablo Canyon and the Santa Fe plant is that Diablo Canyon is out in a much more remote area, um, has a different um, uh, ownership structure in terms of the land around there and a much, much larger site. So, so this is really, it's a very special case. And I, I think people need to look at our experience with that in mind and not everything from what we've done is gonna be applicable to other places, but it, a lot of it is, I think. So um, would you say that those are some of your challenges, obstacles is, is dealing with such a complicated landscape with the, with the population and all the different facilities around there in the base? Um, are there other obstacles you'd like to mention or challenges that you've, that you've tried to overcome? I will say that um, there are really two looming challenges that make all of this hard and maybe particularly hard in a site like the San Onofre site where there's so much attention to it. Uh, one of them is the issue of trust. You know, when you look across, trust in all institutions has been going down. It's related to a lot of things, you know, polarization, politics, and different sources of information, and, you know, on and on. That's a a dissertation in itself, many dissertations in themselves about why people don't trust institutions the way they used to. Um, but that's particularly true of government and particularly true of big companies. And so if people are looking at the plant and skeptical of what's going on and are also not trusting in institutions, then everything seems suspicious. So that's one challenge that is just omnipresent. The other challenge that's omnipresent is a lack of a, of a nuclear waste strategy for the country. And so I think to me, one of the most striking things in this whole process was 
how many people when the plant shut down recognized that, oh, even though the plant is shut down and they'll remove the domes and so on, the spent fuel is going to be there forever, right? unless we have a strategy. So we've spent the bulk of our time actually on that strategy. And what do we need to do in Washington? I've gone and testified a lot of time with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, other people building political support. It's been a lot of political support for this, but we don't have enough to carry us over the finish line. That was before the pandemic is now change political priorities and focus. And so that's that other, th this lack of a, of a waste strategy, a, a high-level nuclear waste strategy, is a really serious problem because it means that all the debates about what to do at the site and at the SFC in particular, the spent fuel pad, those debates are much more intense because not everybody can reliably see some end to this process. I think one of the things that's interesting is that um, there's a, almost a cultural disconnect. So in the engineering world, you build something like a spent fuel storage system, make it out of stainless steel, do the best job possible. The system at San Onofre is especially hardened against seismic risk. It's, it's, it's underground or it's un, in a, uh, a highly reinforced concrete bunker, basically. Um, and the evidence in the industry so far with canister systems that are now more than 40 years old is that there's no significant risk of canisters failing, of uh, uh, this kind of corrosion, but you need to monitor them. Uh, and so from a, when an engineer looks at that, they're comfortable with that idea because you have set up a monitoring system, you have multiple layers of monitoring, you have an idea of what you're gonna do if you find a crack, although nobody's found in the spent fuel systems cracks, they found cracks in stainless steel and other kinds of applications which are much more prone to cracking. But um, that's all kind of comfortable in the technical world. And then, for people who are not in that technical community or don't trust what's going on, all, all that seems scary and it all seems like it relies on, on inventing technologies in the future and what happens if we don't invent them and so on. So that's the, you know, once again, we come back to this problem of this kind of disconnect in how people are seeing things at the plant because of their level of comfort with the institutions that are overseeing this and because they see that we're going to have to be dealing with this potentially for a very long period of time. To me, the most important interim storage questions right now have to do with these sites. It happens that right now there are three sites. There are three sites that have moved forward. One a long time ago in Utah that, for political reasons, um, has cratered. It seems the, the PFS. Um, two that are now emerging, actually very close to each other, but there's the border between Texas and New Mexico between them. So one's in New Mexico and one's in Texas. That's probably pretty good thing since we've got some diversity in political systems there and see, see what happens. So those are moving forward. Um, and I think those are going to be very, very important because if you're at a site like San Onofre, there really is no reason to have spent fuel across dozens and dozens of different uh, sites. When the, when the reactors are operational, it doesn't really matter very much because you have to have some fuel on site and for an operational reactor. But when the reactors are closed, that's nuts. And we ought to be at least moving that to an interim storage facility. I think that's the right way to go. Um, and I think at the same time, we need to take a completely fresh look at what the long-term strategy is gonna be. Yucca, I think the, the, the ship may have sailed on Yucca. You've got now in the current electoral cycle, you have the presidents on the Republican side, anti-Yucca. Uh, you've had the Democrats, most of them for the most part, anti-Yucca and the Republicans in favor of Yucca. Now they're kind of everyone agrees that Yucca's a problem, not everyone, but a lot of people. And, and that's, I, I, don't, I don't, in that world, I don't know if how, I don't know if it matters what the actual technical characteristics are of the Yucca site. Politically, it's a poisoned prospect. And so that's why 
deep borehole is so interesting. That's why following the kind of Finland model or the Canada model or in other countries, even what we do in, in siting of hazardous sites uh, elsewhere in the United States of getting different communities to in effect bid for the opportunity to host a site like that. We ought to be more creative about it. And it's, it's not rocket science. We've done this in lots of other areas. We just have done a horrible job in the, in the nuclear side. Um, your local congressman uh, assembled a task force to address federal policy and technical challenges around songs. I know they just released a report recently um, making 30 policy recommendations. Are there any highlights of this report that you'd like to call out? Um, and how, what kind of role will the report play in your work with the songs panel? Um, I think the good parts of the task force report are, are the attention to the need for a long-term strategy here and the need for good monitoring uh, and assessment program at the ISFC and so on, which is what is going on already. So that's great. But the political solutions to this, interim storage, long-term storage, those political solutions are not there yet. I thought it was a little mystifying that there wasn't more attention to interim storage, and I think that may reflect the politics uh, I may also reflect his two co-chairs who seem skeptical of everything related to nuclear power and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. I'm not sure that's actually helpful because um, uh, skepticism is a great thing in life, but you also have to get things done. And so you ought to have some vision of where and how you can work with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and, and, other, and other players. Um, so I think it was kind of a mixed bag and involved a huge number of people for a long period of time. I think it may be hard for that report to get a huge amount of traction because we're in a different political environment right now with the pandemic and stimulus and, and so on. Um, I guess I'd say that there's some parts of the report that are really disturbing. And they're actually the parts of the report that did not get as much consensus as the first chapter, the opening chapter, which is on the kind of political strategy. And those parts of the report have to do with the technical issues around monitoring and cracking of canisters and things like that, where I think the report, frankly, drifted away from the reality of the science. And that's unfortunate always to see. The report wasn't peer reviewed. Um, it when you hear task force, you think it's going to be a consensus task force, but in reality, when you look carefully, a substantial number of people didn't agree with some, at least some significant parts of the report. Um, having been on many consensus task forces in my life and having chaired a few, um, I found that part pretty unusual because we would never, as a, as, a, as a rule, you'd never carry a, a task force that's supposed to be a consensus activity to a conclusion without actually having a consensus or understanding why you don't. So that part of it, I think, was unfortunate. Um, but I think the, the over, overall, I'm delighted to see more attention to this, uh, to this topic and in particular to the political changes that we need. Well, let's see, to close out today, is there a question I didn't ask that you think is really important to kind of the general public type of listener to understand? Any closing thoughts you'd like to leave us with today? Yeah, I think there's a couple things that are very interesting. We have a tendency um, to focus on the most visible and politically charged aspects of nuclear power plants and their decommissioning process. And thus today we've talked about you know, spent fuel and interim storage and so on, very, very important uh, topics. I think it's also really important to recognize that these plants are a critical part of a community. They're major employers. Um, and their major tax uh, suppliers to the tax base. And when a plant shuts, that changes quickly. And then when a plant uh, uh, gets through the decommissioning process, it changes yet again in a much more extreme way. And I am concerned that we have overweighted 
the highly emotive aspects of decommissioning and underweighted these economic and local relationship questions, frankly, with the local, uh, with the local communities. Um, and one of the reasons that the, that the community engagement panel was set up the way it is with, with elected officials, with people from lots of different walks of life on the, uh, sitting on the panel is so that we could make, including organized labor, is so that we could make sure that those different perspectives are, um, are reflected. And you see that in terms of the economic impact of these plants uh, when they decommission. You also see it in terms of the relationship with the first responders communities because um, the, the people often don't recognize that while there may be on-site first responses, security, fire, medical, and so on, the, the, the defense in depth comes from being from a plant being able also to rely on the larger community and first responders in the larger community. Um, and, and they're a big part of building up those capabilities. And then when a plant shuts, that can change very quickly. A big chunk of what we've dealt with on our panel has been around that bringing attention to that topic and, and then helping the first responders and Edison come to reasonable agreements so that there's a better glide path from the operational plant to the, to the non-operational plant. And how long are we talking? I mean, you've already been doing this for quite a few years. What, what, is there an end in sight, like 10 more years? Or when is that unknown right now? Helping manage a really important process of decommissioning has a big impact on the, uh, on, on the communities. Um, and doing it in a way that's fact-based and has a much higher flow of information than we've seen in any of the other plants that have gone through something uh, something similar. I think that's first and foremost really important for the local communities, um, but it's also important hopefully because we might be establishing some models or best practices or contributing to models and best practices that can be followed in other places, especially where plants are are near communities that are highly focused and, and engaged uh, on that. That was more than six years ago. Um, and this summer, the uh, Edison folks will finish the last of the offloading of, this, of the fuel from the spent fuel pools. That'll be, a big, that'll be a big moment because then it'll shift basically from an offloading campaign to a full bore um, D&D campaign. That'll run roughly a decade uh, um, after that. And there'll be some tail on activities. At some point, this site will go back to the Navy. They own the land. Um, they're already started taking back the site on the other side of the five uh, of the five highway. Um, I will say one thing about the schedule, which I think has been very interesting, and we learned this uh, among other places by visiting the plant north of north of Chicago, is now that you have private contractors that are specialists in decommissioning, there's been a lot of learning, and so they're doing it faster. They're doing it plausibly safer. They're doing it uh, at lower cost than would have been if the case if you had a bunch of individual electric utilities that are specialized specialists in running electric plants decommissioning their own plants. And so I think that's a big deal. I think that I hope that we will see some big benefits from that kind of specialization at the San Onofre site because uh, they've contracted with one of those specialist companies. And I would not be at all surprised to see that schedule run faster. Great, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I learned a lot and I wish you the best in your work there and I hope to get down there and visit it in person. <laughs> well, please, please come visit. It'll be uh, right now. All of our meetings, by the way, are uh, by by Skype and all of our meetings, even when they were in person, are all up on the website and we've invested a whole lot of people have invested a whole lot of time in making songscommunity.com 
a highly informative site, a lot of information about the decommissioning process. And so um, uh, please do come visit. Great. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll share this podcast with others and feel free to send any comments or suggestions to podcast at deepisolation.com. You can visit deepisolation.com to learn more. At Deep Isolation, we believe that listening is one of the most important elements of a successful nuclear waste disposal program. A core company value is to seek and listen to different perspectives on the matter of nuclear waste, nuclear energy, and disposal solutions. The opinions expressed in this series are those of the participants and do not represent Deep Isolation's position.